This is TSFPN.com, the Sci-Fi Podcast Network. You found the best podcast in the universe. It's Thursday, the 15th of June, and you're listening to The Secrets. Welcome to this podcast of The Secrets, the podcast for anyone who is serious about writing. The Secrets home can be found at www.stormwolf.com. For the next 15 minutes, we'll talk about writing and how to get you even closer to seeing your name on the spine of a book. Welcome to The Secrets. This podcast is all about writing and how to get the success you want. As is often said, there is no one single path that will get you to success, but there are many things that successful people do. I want to talk about some of those things and give you some exercises that will help you get writing and get you on the right track. I'm Michael A. Stackpole, a published novelist with 38 published books to my credit. Last year, I completed my first screenplay. It's a collaboration with Brian Polito. Two weeks ago, our screenplay won the grand prize in Fading Magazine's 10th screenwriting contest. So I guess it's off to Hollywood for Brian and me. That'll be, that'll be kind of interesting. I've just finished my 41st novel, and I'm outlining The New World, which is the last book in my Age of Discovery trilogy. Um, Cardamancy and A Secret Atlas have been mentioned before as the first two books in that series. The Secrets podcast is an audio companion to my writing newsletter, which is also called The Secrets. You can learn more about the newsletter on my homepage at www.stormwolf.com. You can download sample issues and decide if it's worth a dollar an issue to focus your writing on success. Issue 53 just came out, and it's the third in my series on how to plot. The last podcast, the one on self-sabotage, caused a bit of a dust-up on the forums over at Podcast Pen. To cut to the quick, the discussion centered around whether or not my position that you should write first and edit later was too much of an absolute. Are there people for whom it might not work? Could there be another way to be successful without dealing with draconian absolutes? The obvious answer is yes and no, but actually it's mostly no. I'm not saying that to be a jerk, but because it's true. Sure, there will be writers who say they edit all the time, and then they might be successful. There are going to be exceptions to every rule, but those who consider themselves exceptions to this rule are like the guys who still wear pastel leisure suits from the disco era. They're pretty much taking themselves out of the dating pool, and authors who spend a lot of time editing are not really going to be in that pool of people who are getting published a lot. Simple fact is that there are ways to learn how to be successful. Writing is rather unique. If you wanted to learn how to paint, you could take a class where you'd get instructed in techniques to make happy little trees. Same thing for ceramics, glass blowing, dancing, heck, almost anything you can categorize as an art or a leisure activity will have classes. An instructor will be there to give you hands-on aid. Take the class, practice, and you can get good. Writing isn't quite like that. Why not? Look, there are two main reasons. First off, there aren't that many physical techniques to learn. Aside from whether or not you type and how many fingers you use to do it, writing is about as low-tech as you can get. A stick and a stretch of sandy beach will be enough for a story. While a writer can teach metaphor and simile, or how to characterize or plot, if the student doesn't get it, it's all wasted effort. It's not mixing paint or how much wood you plane off a board. It's really not easy to quantify. I mean, face it, writing is making something from nothing, which basically eliminates physical techniques. 
And yes, I've heard of writers who use all sorts of physical exercise to get themselves in the mood to write. Some of them even use it the way Hunter S. Thompson used vodka and cornflakes. Regardless of what any of those writers think, doing stuff to prepare yourself for writing isn't actually writing. The second reason there aren't a lot of classes is that very few writers look at what they do critically. I've talked to writers who claim they're channeling beings from other worlds. I talk to writers who think they're doing one thing and yet it's evident from their work and their explanations that they're doing something absolutely else. I've even talked to writers who refuse to look critically at what they're doing because they don't want to spoil the magic, which is akin to thinking yourself an investment genius if you were investing during the Clinton years and now you find yourself totally clueless as to why all your investments have gone sour. When you do find a writing class, there are generally two reasons why they may not work. Those reasons even apply to this podcast. First off, the teacher and the student may have different goals. If you want to write speculative fiction or popular fiction, and you're in a class taught by someone who only appreciates literary work, you're in a world of hurt. The reverse is also true. Commercial writers can often be rather nasty to those they see as dilettantes who are looking for immortality from their work and really don't care if they ever get paid. While there's nothing wrong with writing for yourself or writing for posterity, it's always been my feeling that no matter the motivation, it's more fun to get paid for it. The second reason is that some folks who take classes or listen to podcasts or read how-to books just aren't serious about doing. For them, it's more than enough to learn the ins and outs. And that might seem like a complete waste of time to a lot of folks, but the fact is that learning about stuff is entertainment. Not everyone who watches the Food Network becomes a gourmet, and I bet half the viewers are chowing down on KFC while they're watching. But how can I say listeners aren't really interested in writing? Because actually, I do the same thing, but in my case, it's magic. Entertainment-type magic, not casting spells and stuff. I constantly buy books about magic. I occasionally go to meetings of the local International Brotherhood of Magicians. I read about magic, I play around with tricks, I talk to magicians. I've learned enough to sound credible to magicians. Heck, my newsletter, The Secrets, was inspired by a magician's newsletter from the 1930s and 40s. But no matter how much I read, no matter how much I study, I have no real intention to perform. Sure, I might use a trick or two to impress nieces and nephews. I might uh, use a trick to baffle friends. But that's about it. I'm not going to figure out a stage name. I'm not going to do all the stuff I'd have to do to audition and, and, and get a show together. My lack of intention to do that doesn't mean that I don't understand what I'm doing and that I'm not interested in it. I enjoy it, and that's all I want to do. But just as I will never be a magician if I don't get out there and perform, neither will anyone who refuses to sit down and write become a writer. Even if I do tricks here and there, I won't become a professional magician unless I go out and audition and land a job. Similarly, you won't be a published writer if you don't polish up work and send it out. Writing is just like magic in that respect. Though I've been waiting for the knock at the door, no one's come to my house asking if I have a magic routine I want to perform. Similarly, no one is going to come to your door and ask if you have a story or a novel you want published. Sure, you might get something in the mail or email offering to publish your book for some consideration, but there's one cardinal rule about being a professional. The money flows to you, not from you. Back to the point before my little digression there. 
If you are serious about wanting to be a writer, you write. That's the only way to do it. There's nothing wrong with thinking about it, researching it, but unless you put your butt in the chair and start writing, you won't be a writer. And a very cool thing about being a writer is this. All it takes is paper, a pencil, and enough time to scrawl down a sentence and you're there. Actually, for years, I've totally resented artists because they have all these cool things. And they're like, you walk into a Home Depot and there's all these cool things for carpenters and stuff like that. You know, no writers have that stuff. But then again, you know, we don't need it. We just need our imagination and something to scrawl things down so we don't forget. And I am being totally serious. Look, there's an exercise I want you to try. Think about writing down a single sentence that conveys a story. We're talking about a dozen words. I'll give you some help. You want to focus this sentence on a character. You want to focus the sentence on a point of change in that character's life. Hint at a direction in which things are going to go. Okay, ready? Here's an example. Harry never thought he'd beat alcohol. Then Alex entered his life. Simple, right? Obviously, Harry's a drunk. He's out of control. He knows it. He despairs about ever being able to dry out. He's in a world of hurt, and he's at a point of change in his life. Alex has entered his life. Who's Alex? Does it matter? Some of you may think Alex is his child, or a friend, or a brother. Some of you may think Alex is a girl, or a dog, or a cat. No, 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 cats just make you want to drink more. Regardless of who or what Alex is, and Alex could be a robot, or an alien, or a fairy princess, this Alex brings to Harry's life a reason for change, a desire to change, the strength to change, and or all of the above. That gives Alex a lot of power. Alex better be pretty special. Now think about that sentence again. Harry never thought he'd beat alcohol, then Alex entered his life. Look at its structure. It boils down to a character who needs to change is provided a chance to change. Now a variant of that formula that will give you some slightly different results is a character who doesn't want to change is forced to change. An example of that could be, though he drove as fast as he could, there was no way Steve could get to his dream house before the wildfires. Or maybe, they vowed to be together until life parted them. Then Ken realized too late that Abby wasn't that into vows. Or, Jerry was already on one knee proposing when he realized that when Janet asked him to give her a ring, she really meant a phone call. If you want to stop the podcast right here and jot down a few sentences, go right ahead. Me, once I get thinking about things this way, I just start generating them all over the place. And of course, all examples could use editing to streamline them and cut down the words. Some are over a dozen, some are under. Try for at least a dozen. But their basic value is still there. In one single sentence, by following a simple model, you can generate a ton of story ideas. Look, with about two hours' work, I'm pretty sure it'd be possible to program something up that would generate these sentences by the dozens. Even if you toss out the nonsensical ones, you'd still have plenty of story starters. And here's the real trick of it all. Even if you only take the time to write one of these sentences down per day, you're writing. When you think of it that way, it's really not that hard, is it? Of course not. The hard part is getting good at it. How good? as good as you want to be to satisfy yourself. That's it. And it probably won't come as any surprise to you that as you get better, stories that made the grade before won't make it now. That seems like a bad thing, but it's not. 
We all outgrow things as we mature, and when you're honing a craft, that's a very positive result. So let me give you the next step, kind of a follow-up to this exercise. It's the core to finding a lot of science fiction or fantasy stories, and it has applications in the real-world stories, too. It's the old what-if. In this case, though, we're going to put a very specific spin on it. In looking at those sentences you've already written down from the exercise, apply the what-if this way. What if the obvious case has been reversed? Sort of warping the what-if. Now, how would that work? Remember Harry the Drunk? The Senate suggests in some way that Alex is some sort of angel in disguise that helps Harry save himself. So we reverse it. Alex, as it turns out, is a liquor salesman who wants Harry to become a symbol for a new brand of whiskey. How do you think that'll work out? I mean, Harry's a drunk. What kind of spokesman will he make? What kind of campaign will they build around him? How will they present him? Will it work? How will Harry deal with success? How will he deal with celebrity? Where will Harry end up in the end? Or another variant, suitable for a mystery. Turns out Harry is a dead ringer for a guy that Alex has been hired to find a double. So, you know, Alex is looking for somebody who looks just like this guy, Harry's it. Maybe it's some third world dictator and Harry's going to be a stand-in. Or maybe Harry is, unbeknownst to himself, the half-brother, some rich guy who's in desperate need of a heart and lung transplant. The idea is that Harry's going to be dried out, made more physically fit, so they can kill him and harvest the organs. That's kind of cool. The variations are endless, absolutely endless. Lots of folks wonder where writers get their ideas, but in fact, you know, we have the freedom to manufacture them simply by doing two little thought experiments. Now, the second piece of that experiment, the warped what if, becomes especially powerful if applied to all the assumptions, or at least to the important ones, that we make as we go along. If you look at that second story, it's pretty ghoulish. But what if that's not what's going to be going on? Sure, Alex finds him, dries him out, and then introduces him to a woman who falls for him because she wants him to impregnate her. So, unbeknownst to Harry, the fetus can be aborted and used to harvest stem cells that will be used to grow new organs for her ultra-rich industrialist grandfather. That's pretty nasty. And what if we decide to toss a kink into their plan? Harry falls for the woman, gets her pregnant, but before she can abort the child, she suffers from a blow to the head, which leaves her in a vegetative state. And the child is alive. And since Harry married her, and as I said last time, make a note, uh, they're married, edit it in later, okay? Harry, who isn't in on the plan, doesn't allow the plug to be pulled. Or doesn't allow the child to be aborted, no matter if the doctor says it's too stressful, etc., etc. So the grandfather has to kidnap his own granddaughter from the hospital, and Harry has to find her and get her back to get his child back. Okay, you see where this is going, right? That whole pattern, as you can see, grows out of a process of establishing a fact, challenging it, and establishing more facts, and challenging them. Sometimes the challenge will turn out good stuff, sometimes it turns out crap, and that's a technical term. But it's fun regardless, and it's writing. Then you get down to the hard work, and that's actually sitting down and writing, word after word, sentence after sentence. There are plenty of ways to work. You could start by writing down five sentences about Harry. Matter of fact, let's make this an exercise, okay? You're going to write down five sentences about Harry. Uh, one about his current situation, one about what kind of student he was, one about his past love life, one about his hobby, one about his job. That's We'll, we'll say that's day one, okay? Five sentences. Anybody can do that, and we already know the formula for the sentences, so go ahead and do it. 
Okay, day two, you add sentences to each of the sentences from day one, enough to form a paragraph. That's going to be at least two sentences, okay? So three sentences makes a paragraph. You know, put it down as a rule. You want at least three, all right? So let's say on day one you wrote, Harry worked as a forensic accountant at the firm of Stiff and Sore. Eh, okay, you know, it needs editing, but it works. It tells us something about Harry. So day two you add, he enjoyed his job, especially when it involved a criminal case. Of late, however, he'd been forced to unravel financials, financial messes in divorce cases and work that had once had him into the office bright and early each day now repelled him. And kind of long again, needs some editing. But we've now got an expanded picture in that one paragraph, which is all about Harry's job. We know something about Harry. As an aside here, you can form more complex and juicy sentences by stating a fact and adding in the character's reaction to that fact, as we did there. He used to love his work, now he hates it. Okay, so everybody can sympathize with that. Good idea. Okay, as we look at Harry now, we have a better feel for him. We might even have the reason he drinks. We could have the reason, his, his preoccupation with deception and divorce cases, that's made him so paranoid that his wife left him, which colors his love life. Or maybe he's so overworked that he has no love life. Regardless, we now have five paragraphs about Harry, and you can begin to see those little links. Day three, we're back to single sentences. In this case, you're going to write a reaction or consequence sentence to follow each of the above paragraphs. Ask yourself what Harry is going to do about the conditions you've described in the preceding paragraph. And to continue our little example, on day three, I'd probably write... Harry has come to hate his job and desperately wanted to quit. Well, that's pretty bloody obvious from what we said before. But it's a simple sentence. That's all we need. And it is rather obvious on what has preceded it. But that's good. Now, if I wanted to, I could have used the warp what if and have chosen a different reply. Like, as much as he hated his job, he saw himself as the white knight defending people against their greedy spouses and figured someone was going to have to do the work so he'd do it and do it well. Yeah, that would also work. Again, gives us a nice, different feel for Harry here. Okay, day four. You're going to write two more sentences. You're going to complete the paragraphs that were started on day three. The principle to guide you here can be summed up by prefacing those sentences by, but that's not going to happen because. You'll see how that works here. Back to Harry hating his job and desperately wanting to quit. To that sentence, we'd add, Unfortunately, Harry's appetite for fast cars, hot blondes, and well-aged whiskey meant he couldn't afford to quit. He might have hated the clients he dealt with, but they loved him and showed their appreciation with wads of cash. I think you can see how that follows what we had before. If you do that same thing for all of the single sentences you've got, and again, you're really beginning to develop that picture of Harry or whoever the character is that you're writing about. So, let's look at the score. We've got 10 paragraphs, give or take, which puts you somewhere around 200 words. That's roughly a page on a typewriter. And typewriter, that's an old machine for those of you who don't know. It's what we used to use before word processors. So after four days, you get a page. Now, there is no one listening to this podcast who can tell me that this exercise was too hard and they just can't possibly do it. They don't have time. Heck, do it while you're watching TV deal with why Harry likes American Idol or hates Coors Light. This isn't brain surgery. It's, you know, five sentences here, ten sentences there. You can do it. 
Now, you continue this four-day rotation either spreading out to other subjects or just building on what you've already got. Or day five, you really strap a pair on, kick aside the training wheels, and take a good hard look at connecting the dots. Having written as much as you have about Harry so far, you're going to see the connections. I've already noted that Harry likes expensive whiskey, and we know he's a drunk, so those paragraphs obviously link up. He likes fast cars. We know that cars and liquor don't mix, so maybe he has some trouble with the law. He likes hot blondes, so maybe that's how someone tricks him into something. Or explains why his marriage is failing or has failed, why he's dating his way through Hugh Hefner's cast-offs. All sorts of story things can come out of that. The point is that you can connect the dots here pretty easily, either through the direct connections you've hinted at already, or you can find a circumstance or incidence that will create a connection. Now, how do I mean that? Okay, Harry likes expensive whiskey. A grateful client invites him to an exclusive club for a whiskey and cigar party. Harry goes and is introduced to someone whose wife is going to be hiring Harry to uncover all of his hidden money. The guy offers Harry a bribe to keep things hidden. Harry says no. Then the guy begins to step up the pressure in a godfatherly kind of way. If you catch my Sopranos drift here. Bang, we have a new story idea that we'd not thought about before, all growing out of the fact that Harry has become the person he's become over the previous four days of your exercise. Then you keep building and keep building and keep building. Now, some of you are thinking, well, it sounds easy when he says it, but look, I'm not going to kid you, okay? I'm not going to kill you either, but I'm not going to kid you. It is hard work. Sure, there are books out there that can help you along. I published the Secrets newsletter to provide tons of the sorts of tidbits that would be helped. Issue 54 is the last of a four-part series on plotting that is a perfect complement to our exercise here. Following it would have you generating billions of story ideas out of what you've done by day four. I'd love it if everyone listening to this podcast would wander over to stormwolf.com and risk 25 bucks to make yourself the best writer you possibly can be. What this exercise should show you, however, is that you can write. Just by living in the world, you see people and details about their lives that could allow you to generate the day four output in a heartbeat. You could just do it concerning your friends and your family. You know, you want to change the names to, well, not protect the innocent, actually protect yourself. We're programmed to think in stories. So this is part of our natural thought process. Learning to write, however, requires you to learn the techniques others use to communicate through writing. Moreover, you have to actually apply them. You have to correct yourself, make it right, and then, if you wish, bite the bullet, send it out, and share your brilliance with the rest of the world. It doesn't matter if you write in the morning or on index cards over lunch or in the dead of the night. That's all circumstance. The fact that you're writing, that you're putting words on paper, is what makes a difference, and you can do it. No excuses, no hesitation. It's like card tricks. You get to practice all you want, and you only have to show your stuff when you're ready. But you have to have stuff to show. Start now. It's day one. If you follow the program, by the time there's a new Secrets podcast, you'll have at least a thousand words down. And that's a thousand words closer to seeing your name in the spine of a book than you are now. What we're going to do over at the forums for the Secrets is I'm going to start some topics, and they will be day one, day two, day three, day four. And if you want to do this exercise, come in. You've written your day one sentence. You come and you post it there. 
You can invite comments or not. You know, people are not going to be free to comment unless you invite them to. But you post it there. And then day two, you come in and show us the work. So first day, there's going to be five sentences, each one about a character. And then the next day, those will then expand it into five paragraphs. And so we'll go with the exercise. And we'll just see where it takes you. We'll see how far you get going. And there'll be other writers there that you can email or you can talk with about what you're doing, let them know what you like, that sort of thing. Maybe, you know, form up a little writer's group all by yourselves. But this is it, guys. You actually can write. It is that easy. So go ahead. Give it a try. You know, you're going to be able to do this. And it will be very cool when you do. This is Michael A. Stackpole for The Secrets. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit www.stormwolf.com and get a sample issue of The Secrets. Uh, issue 54, the third part of the plotting series, as I mentioned just a moment ago, came out today, which would be the 15th of June. They come out the 1st and 15th of every month. Uh, my latest book, Cardamancy, came out in February, in, in case you missed it. It's the sequel to The Secret Atlas, in case you missed that. And look, I really want to thank you guys. I got word in the end of May that Cardamancy has actually gone back to press. Uh, so I really appreciate the support. Uh, the podcast, as I've just mentioned, has a discussion forum at www.tsfpn.com or podcastpen.com. Uh, feel free to come over there, ask questions, participate in the discussions, put your exercise results up. I'm not sure what the next podcast will cover. Uh, I'm thinking about maybe doing some more exercises and stuff. Um, you know, hit the forums, make some suggestions. Let me know what you want and need covered. This podcast is copyright 2006 by Michael A. Stackpole. I'll be back in uh, two, three, four weeks. Give you plenty of time to be working on your exercises and uh, talk more about writing with words. Until then, good luck with your writing.